Well, thank you, Nick. Thanks once again. Um, Conchac Vineyard, the place where Nick and Aaron are and places where kittens go. Uh, there's a kitten over there, guys. So Conchac and welcomes kittens to our community as well. So you can, you can feel free to be a kitten. But uh, anyway, we had a fun weekend. Uh, I want to show you. So uh, this was the Fun Fest weekend. We've been announcing it, that we had a team that went out onto the streets. Uh, so there's... Uh, <laughs> Me, Rob, Mickey, uh, we, uh, like we like to say, we, uh, we blessed the fest. That's what we did. We went out and blessed the fest, and we went out. So what we were doing is handing out balloons. We were handing out water. We were handing out lots of handshakes and smiles. Uh, we didn't see any kittens, unfortunately. Dogs. We had no dog treats. Lots of dogs came up and drank their fill. Uh, and we did these little mystery boxes for the kids that you can see. Uh, and they created a, a little box that had a treat in it, and they wrote a mystery message that had you with the secret ink. You know, there, you can't see it, but then you put the light on it, and you can see what the message is. So they would make it for their family or a friend, and it was kind of a really fun experience. So we had a great time uh, out there blessing the fest. So uh, there's opportunities to do that. We do that once a year, and it's just a really fun time to be out in the community in Conchahokan. It ended up being, so I, we printed out these little QR codes on them and put them on our little giveaways. Uh, so I knew how many. So I actually could quant- like get the quantity this time, quantize what we did. And we handed out over 600 things, whatever what it was. So, so it's plus, and then people. So whether it's a water or a balloon or a craft or something, if you include dogs in there, we probably you know, maybe reached 700 mark or something. So it was really fun. It was just a really good time. So thank you to all the volunteers. And thank you for everyone's support, which made it uh, really possible. And so we, what we like to do is we like to choose a theme. So our theme with the mystery box was mystery. And the reason we chose the mystery theme is because we are starting a new series today called The Mystery of Revelation. And so what we're going to do is carrying through the fall, we're going to do a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Um, so it's one of the, the most mysterious books of the Bible. I don't know about you, uh, but I know, I know there's, um, there's a lot of questions about this book. I know there's pastors and, and teachers who avoid it completely just because it's so weird. It is, it is the most bizarre book in the Bible, at least from what I've seen. Maybe that's been your experience reading it if you've even attempted to do so. I know that there are Christians and followers of Jesus who say, I'm a little scared to read that book. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. It's just kind of weird. But it can be really confusing. If you think the Bible can be confusing, which it can be at times, even for someone who's studied it for many years like myself. I mean, I'm not a scholar, but I study what the scholars say. It can still be challenging. But the book of Revelation can be a little bit intimidating to get into. Um, but it certainly has been at least the inspiration for a lot of modern art. Uh, it has inspired the book series. Do you remember the book series Left Behind? Yeah, I left that book series behind myself a while back, and, uh, and I think Nicolas Cage maybe would have been wise to avoid the, the movie version of that to the detriment of his career, but God bless Nic- Nicolas Cage. He's making a comeback, I think, and I like that guy. Uh, National Treasure was a big, big plus, but it, it certainly has been inspiration, even, even tattoos. I was up at a family member, extended family member's house, and he has a tattoo of the four, that he's getting of the four horsemen of the apocalypse like right on his thigh there. So it's pretty popular for whatever reason. It kind of captures our imagination, all of these bizarre images. And if you're not familiar with the book, I mean, it is just, 
it is out of this world. It is sensory overload. If you really try to immerse yourself in what it says, not only you got the, these four horsemen, you got plagues, you got monsters, you have dragons, you have lights and, and, and demons and angels and God and rushing waters and streams and a city and a garden. It is just, it is, it is just incredible. And it's often hard to kind of grasp what it might mean. Uh, but really... It was never, even though it's so vivid and captures our imaginations in a special way, it was never meant to be something that was just meant to be studied or understood by a select group of scholars who kind of was able, were able to interpret because of their great research. And certainly research is super helpful, but that wasn't the original intent. In fact, it was, it was meant to be read uh, by everyone, in fact, by people, followers of Jesus who want to understand more of, of Jesus himself. In fact, Revelation, this book, probably gives us one of the most vivid, clearest images of, of Jesus himself, the battle between good and evil, and more about the person of Jesus than, than uh, perhaps any other book. And as we understand God's purposes in a very confusing setting, uh, which is back, you know, uh, you know over, about 2,000 years ago, uh, and, and in this, these times that were confusing for the people then, I believe there is so much that we can learn in our confusing times, in, in the constantly changing and the rapidly changing culture in which we live, that help, will help apply to our lives and help us understand not only God's purposes, but more about who Jesus himself is. And my hope is that as we deep, to do a deep dive into Revelation, that we can have ourselves a clearer picture of what it means to follow Jesus in, in, in a world that is really hard for us to comprehend and understand, often pushes back against what uh, Jesus says. So, with that said, let's say a prayer, um, uh, and we'll jump right in. Today's, the title of today's sermon is called The Master of Mystery. So let's, let's, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for the life of the church that you've given birth to over the past nine years that we just celebrated. Uh, thank you for Nick and Aaron, their investment in, in this community, and we, we pray that they would go with such tremendous blessing in life. And the, You're the giver of good gift. You continue to give to them. And we pray, God, for every guest and visitor, everyone who's new to our community would, would experience that same kind of blessing and refreshment that ultimately, God, we know comes from you. So come, Holy Spirit. And like the Apostle Paul prayed, uh, for the, uh, the church in Ephesus, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, ultimately to know you better. So I pray that as we look at your word, um, while we may have more questions that arise as we read your word, that, that we would have more clarity as well about who you are and what you want to do in each of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, cool. So before we jump right in, what I want to do is kind of give you a few tools to help you understand, kind of the, the tools to help you peel back the veil a little bit, to help you understand how, how each of you can study the book of Revelation by yourself. So I'm going to equip you with some uh, very simple tools, some ways that you can understand and interpret the Bible. Uh, in terms of uh, understanding the Bible, uh, there's something called hermeneutics, which is basically uh, the, the practice of interpreting the Bible. It's how do we interpret that Bible and how do we understand the Bible. And the basic approach we'd like to use that we find to be very helpful and other uh, leaders and teachers and scholars, uh, the, the approach that we're going to use here is what I would call an inductive expository 
approach. So inductive means to induce. You, you, take, you look at the details of what is said there and you build uh, an understanding of what God is saying by looking at the Bible. And there's basically three steps. So when you read the Bible, one way to look at it is to, firstly, the inductive method is basically three simple ways. You make an observation of the text. So what does it say? Then interpretation based on those observations. So that's the second step. So there's observation, interpretation, and then you know what the third one is? Application. Good. Some of you guys got it. So the, interp- the interpretation will help you lead to an application so that we can ultimately apply it to our life. So what we're trying to do is not just study it for the sake of studying the scripture, just in, not just revelation, but in general, but how does this apply to our lives? And that's the intent of which it was originally written, and it's the intent that God has for us today as we study the scriptures, that we would understand how it actually applies to our life. So you can go home and you can apply what we learn on Sunday tomorrow, on Monday, on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. So that's kind of the, uh, uh, the idea here. And then, uh, what does it mean to, uh, to be an expository kind of message? Well, it's, it comes from the word expose, to bring light to. I like how John Stott explained it. He says this, to expound, he's talking about expository preaching on scripture or teaching or study, is to bring out of the text, kind of like that image of that Bible there, or that book, what it is there, and to expose it to view. He says there, the expositor opens what appears to be closed, he makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. So basically, what we're trying to do is open up the mystery of what is in the book of Revelation. And that's the hope today, to give you some of these basic tools that help open things up that might be a little bit confusing. And that, that's why for me, ever since I was young, Studying the Bible has been really fun because it's kind of like digging for gold, digging for understanding. And in fact, the Bible is so unique as a book. It's a book, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, it, but it's a book, in my experience, that you can keep digging and digging and digging. You can never get to the bottom because it's, there's so much in there. It's almost like an infinite source well of wisdom that you can study for your entire life and you can read the same passage repeatedly and still get something valuable from it. Has that been your experience as well? Isn't that incredible? That is, that is just the, kind of the supernatural nature of the Bible itself. And the, it's, there's, there's a reason why the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. There is something supernatural that God has hidden within the pages of Scripture and that has been compiled over hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years by different authors in different places and different con- cultural contexts that, that makes it a cohesive unit that, as you look at it together, is one beautiful message about the nature of who God is. And this is the book that we study. And Revelation itself kind of uh, puts, puts a punctuation point on this, um, this really fun journey. So the one final to- like idea that I want to present to you in terms of how you can study the Bible is an important point. And this is, this is called contextualization. And here's, here's the basic idea, is that all scripture is context-dependent. Okay, let me say that again. All of Scripture is context-dependent. Okay, so, for instance, if, let me give you an example from your own life. Have you ever had someone hear something you say, take it out of context and say, well, you said that? It's, it wouldn't be an accurate representation of what you said, would it? No, in the same way, if you remove something from biblical context and try to make it say something that it doesn't, it's not an accurate representation of what the Bible actually says. And so when we look at the scriptures, we want to look at the context, and the greater understanding we have of the context, uh, the better understanding and more accurate picture of what is being said 
can, can be learned and, and we can glean from. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar, you don't have to be an expert to, to understand the Bible. However, uh, when we put things in context, it certainly helps. And there are certain different ways we can put the Bible in context. We can look at the history, we can look at the social aspect of what was happening, um, we can look at the genre, the kind of literature that it is. So, for example, if a, if a book is, is meant to be taken literally, but you le- read it symbolically, that w- that would, you come up with something different than it says. Or if it's meant to be symbolic and you lead it, read it literally, that's also an error. And we'll see that again and again within the pages of Scripture. But I'm going to get into more of that. Let's just, let's just, with that said, let's just start digging a little bit. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because it's, it's, it's fun stuff. Okay, so let's pull it up. And if you want to, if you if you like to kind of study and have the whole thing, there are Bibles by the table. I'm going to pull it. I just think find it easier, I mean, personally, just to have it right up there. But if you want to kind of open to Revelation 1, we're going to see if we can go through the first chapter. So I'm going to use more of an expository approach. We're going to go more verse by verse, and I'll, I'll help uh, kind of expound upon what's being said to help give us some tools. Okay, so Revelation 1, 1 to 3 says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, so a little bit more about kind of the foundation. So what I want to do today is really just give you some foundational, some basic ideas to help you understand the trajectory so that when over the next few weeks or the several weeks throughout the fall when we go through the book of Revelation, you'll have a good understanding of the perspective uh, and understanding the type of book it is that is really important. Okay, so from verse one, what do we see here? We see that it's a prophetic book. So it contains, actually contains predictions as well as warnings about things that are about to come. So there is an aspect of Revelation that talks about the future and things that will happen. So that is a key aspect, although it's not the most important emphasis as we learn a little bit more. And because it's a prophetic book, it has prophetic themes. And so one of the ways to understand this book is to understand the prophetic books that are in Scripture. For example, Daniel, Ezekiel, or Zechariah. Those are key books that the author John likes to draw from in order to create imagery that brings about an understanding that God's people had had historically. So that's an important piece to understand. So there's a connection to other, other prophetic books. Okay, another interesting thing is that the Revelation is the book of the apocalypse. But apocalypse, when you think of apocalypse, you probably think of like some, like, some like atomic bomb, right, that's, that blew up a, a town or something and walking around like, you know, eating rats. or I don't know, what do you think I think about <laughs> But apocalypse, oh no, you don't eat rats? Oh, oh okay, just, just curious. Um, so the apocalypse is actually a genre of literature. And uh, so it's more than just meaning the end, like pointing toward the end time. It's their apocalyptic literature that was common at, at the time. And so the ap- apocalypse kind of literature, that genre, would often have an individual or maybe there are several who would, and this was like spanning even 100 years before and after the person when Jesus came. Um, but it, they, people would have these divine revelations and be like put into the heavenly realm. They would see some galactic battle that was happening. 
it, all these bizarre images. So all of this is not actually uncommon for the time. So this is a common, that is not uncommon today, but was common uh, back then. And so they would take this message um, that was usually given to them by some kind of spiritual being, and it usually had to do with, it was uh, dualistic, meaning it often would have to do with the battle between good and evil, these two uh, major forces that would uh, apply to the people at the time. And so the important thing to understand in Apocalypse, because it uses these bizarre images, is that it is very often symbolic. And so one of the things that we can get, where we can get in trouble in understanding Revelation is inter interpret something that was intended and is symbolic as something literal. So we must keep that in mind. So when you're reading the book of, of Revelation, consider the symbolism that is embedded rather than taking um, something uh, literally. So we'll see lots of examples of that as we study the book of Revelation. So another thing, interesting thing is Revelation, if you look at verse 2 there, um, I'm not saying he put, but um, you can see there in the second sentence where he's testifying to something and it is the word of God is the testimony. So Revelation is also a witness or a testimony and those two words are interchangeable and it comes from the word martyr, believe it or not. Martyr means to be a witness. A witnesses are martyrs. And so this is written in the context of of really martyrdom, and since the word is martyr there, uh, what, what is kind of embedded or assumed in its context is that to give a witness to who Jesus was in its context would often mean suffering. So to say something about Jesus and to declare him um, to be this, to be God in, in a culture where God was the, the emperor or God were these pantheon of other gods, it was politically subversive. It was, it was a threat. So you could give your life for simply um, proclaiming the things that John is going to be writing about in this book. Because of that, he, the symbolism is used. And so he'll use symbolism and encode things, you know, like a little code device. You'll have a word that means something else. And even numbers. All of those things are used as, um, as literary devices to communicate things in a way that would, wouldn't put the people at unnecessary risk who are reading this letter. So it's really, really interesting. So there's kind of some, maybe, I don't know if it's spycraft or like encoding, maybe the original like code. So there's kind of speaking in codes. Uh, so the number, I won't, I won't give it away now, but for instance, the number 666, there's a code, that's a code for something. But we'll get into that later when we, we talk about maybe the dragon and the beast, which is, which is later to come. Don't wanna give too much away. But in any, in any sense, the most important thing that we understand uh, about the book of Revelation is that it is a revelation of Jesus himself. And so this is the main, the main theme of what's being revealed is Jesus himself, is God, is the nature of God, which is why the Bible is written. So we're understanding through the pages of Scripture in this book who Jesus is. And the question, so if you want to study the Bible, not just the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation gives us a really good understanding of how to study the rest of the Bible we ask this question, is what mysteries about Jesus does this passage reveal to us? Or more simply said, what do we learn about Jesus? Okay, so that, that one key in terms of being able to understand the Bible, the hint that I would give you if you want to understand the Bible, you don't have access to resources, is that the Bible interprets the Bible. So you can use the Bible itself to interpret what the Bible says, so because it's one contained view. All right, let's continue on. Revelation 1, 4 to 5. 
uh, verse four, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kingdoms or the kings of the earth. So here we are seeing more of Jesus and Jesus is seen, okay, more about this martyr idea. He's seen as the ultimate martyr who basically has given his life on the cross and he rose from the dead to then be crowned king of kings. Okay, this is, this is a statement that would go against everything that the culture in its time was saying. And we can also see here that the book of Revelation is not only, it's not only prophetic, it's not only apocalyptic, it's not only testimony, but it's also a letter written by a guy named John. So it's so unique, this book is so unique, it kind of combines all of these genres into one interesting a message that we have here. And you might, you might think, okay, well, I, and originally for the longest time, I thought John, this John, was actually referring to the Apostle John. It was one of the, who wrote the book of John and the letters like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. However, most scholars in their research don't believe that that's the same person. In fact, this John is most likely, including scholars like N.T. Wright, they would argue that this is probably a different John who is a Palestinian Jew at the time, living on the island of Patmos. This is a different John. Uh, however, we can't know uh, for, with 100% certainty. It could be that John. But the fact is that this is, is a man who God had been given, given a significant revelation to. But it's interesting to note that. So not assume, which, which many of us may, may have. So this is a little uh, historical note there. Okay, so let's continue on. Revelation 1, verses 9 to 11. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient, so there's that suffering theme again, and kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll that what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so John here, we have to understand this suffering theme is so central to the understanding of this Bible that we can't forget that. And as Americans or Westerners or people who live in a context where the suffering is not the same, we easily forget that the people reading this were suffering day, daily because of their, their, their belief in who Jesus was. They had friends who had been martyred and, and murdered because of their witness for Jesus. This was a few years after, maybe a decade or 15 years after the reign of Nero, who, who decimated the Christians, who, who, would, who would brutalize them and torture Christians just because of their faith and blame, make false, false accusations. And this was most likely written during the time of Domitian, which there wasn't as much uh, blatant persecution, but certainly there was, uh, there, was, there was shaming that happened to people who held these beliefs. They were ostracized and made isolated. And in our modern day context, there might be some of that happening as well. So I don't know if you've ever had kind of a sense of being ostracized because of your faith or that you've spoken to Jesus or because you live a certain way, you're, you're misunderstood or you're a sense of shame. This happens on social media all the time, doesn't it? If you believe, you make a statement of faith in Jesus or a statement of faith that aligns with biblical truth, 
you can be publicly shamed because of what you believe. Certainly, this is very, very normal. So we may experience this to some degree, but we have to have in mind the cultural context of what was actually happening and the amount that these folks suffered. And God calls us, so the clear message. And that's why it makes this, this kind of genre or even the Bible difficult to understand because we just don't have a, a visceral understanding of what it means to suffer like those original believers did. Some of us do from time to time. We get, a, we get pieces of that because we all suffer, but it is something certainly consider as we interpret the book. So let's, let's continue on. We have a few more sections here, and then, we'll, um, and then we'll finish up. So Revelation 1, 12 to 16. I turned um, around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Okay, now this is kind of where it turns into like the anime comic book. Okay, it just kind of goes, goes to a whole nother level. Here we go. Just, just to warn you. Okay, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among them, the lampstand, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Now, I just want to encourage you, what Revelation does, I think, in a little bit more than usual, is it allows us to use our imagination. Let, let the words just kind of catalyze your imagination a little bit. So just picture it. Kind of just let it picture. Just let the words kind of paint this picture in your mind. So the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now, what is that? That is bizarre. I mean, you got suns and lampstands and uh, swords coming out. So again, Revelation is symbolic. So while he may have seen this spiritually, when we understand there's a lot of symbolism going on here. Okay, let me give you an example. So this double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of, of Jesus. It doesn't mean when Jesus maybe comes back again or he talks to people, swords come like firing out of his mouth and like are hitting people, you know, and you, you have a scene where it's just bloody and gruesome. No, the sword represents that double-edged sword um, you might be familiar with the verse in Hebrews 4.12 that says that the word of God is like a double-edged sword, which is living and active and pierces bone and marrow and cuts people's heart. And so what this represents is the authority that God's word has to pierce lives and to, and to bring judgment and to, bring, to speak about what the way reality is and how that impacts what goes on in each of our lives. Okay, so there, there you go, there's, there's an example. And then the next part, which we'll read in a second, um, we'll, we'll see uh, you know, some, some further um, explanation because this actually, Jesus interprets what he's saying. Again, we read it as symbolic, not as literal. And then this son of man, well, that's meaning uh, this, this human figure representing God's people. We'll see more about what that says next. So let's read the next section. And this is actually a reference back to um, some of the prophetic literature. But Revelation 1, 17 to 18, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the key of death and Hades. Wow. Are the keys? Is it the keys? It's multiple keys? Okay, there's one key for death and Hades. You know, you know, if some of us were given the keys to death and Hades, I know some of you in here lose them after five minutes. I, you know, you can picture, hey, Dad, where's the, where's the keys to death and Hades? I, I don't know, I left them, you know, back in the car. But this is just a bizarre, another really um, symbolic way to understand the authority that Jesus holds, that the, the key to death itself, to the, to the, to the underworld, to... to to life and death, that Jesus holds the authority of who, 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 who breathes who, spiritually and who doesn't, who lives and who dies. And so we're seeing here a different picture of Jesus than what is often portrayed in modern culture. Is it, uh, when I think, or when I see Jesus portrayed, like, say you're, for example, like walking on the, uh, ever go on the walk on the boardwalk, like, uh, like Ocean City or uh, down to Wildwood, and you see some of like the, the Jesus t-shirts. He's like, He's like the cool hippie uncle guy, you know, with the long hair, and he's maybe surfing on a surfboard. He's got this, you know, and I think Jesus has that cool nature. I think he would be a fun person to hang out with, honestly, so I don't think it's completely inaccurate. However, this picture of Revelation, we see something where we, if we were to see Jesus for who he was, we would be so astonished that we would fall down dead like we were dead, that we would have like almost a cardiac arrest seeing Jesus in his full glory. And that, in fact, that happened to three disciples, you know, his inner core. When he was transfigured before them, he was glowing white and sparkling in a way that was beyond their understanding. All they could do was bow down and, and, and be before him. That this Jesus is, is the God who existed before time, outside of time, and he holds the power of the cosmos in his hand. The keys to death and Hades them, himself and his voice is like the roar of a waterfall. Now, it's almost like the sense we get when reading Revelation is that there's almost no words that do justice to who Jesus actually is, but it gives us just a small glimpse that he is the coming king. We see he's the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about, that uh, the vision brings together all these prophetic images like I had mentioned of Exodus, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah. But Jesus, here's the idea, guys, is that Jesus is much more than we think that he actually is. If you think you know Jesus, you don't. He is much greater, much more, and much more mysterious. And the hope is that as we continue on, just we're just setting things up this week, as we continue on the book of Revelation, my hope and I think believe what God wants to do is reveal to each of us and to reveal to our church the mystery of who Jesus is. Just imagine if over the next several weeks you could see Jesus in a completely different way. Than you ever have. And this is not just, um, my friends, this is not just an intellectual exercise. We can understand some of the academic aspects. We can understand some of the things in our minds. We can say this image means this. But what we're doing here is a naturally supernatural thing that Jesus wants, because he has risen, because he is the firstborn among the dead, Jesus is with you. He is in you through the power of the Spirit, and he wants to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and help you interpret his, himself through himself, if that makes any sense. That the presence of Jesus is with us, and Jesus himself wants to reveal more of himself to you. And so really, the main idea here, Jesus, Jesus is the master of mysteries, 
and he is the master of mysteries that matter most. Let's look at this um, last section, and then I want to take communion together. Revelation 1, 19 and 20. Now what he's doing is he's revealing himself as the revealer. So Jesus is the revealer of mysteries. So you want to get to know a mystery about God? Get to know Jesus. Revelation 1, 19 and 20. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will later take place, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Okay, so he's helping us. He's helping us understand what this is. And so Jesus is showing that what's there is actually symbolic. So in case you're wondering if Revelation is symbolic, he's showing that there's symbolism here. So Jesus says, the seven stars and the angels of the seven church are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So a couple notes. The, the, the number seven, sometimes or oftentimes, the Bible uses numbers themselves as symbolic, okay? Uh, even though it can be literal. But isn't it cool to think that, that churches themselves have angels? Um, as we've prayed, some people, some of our team, have had these prophetic images. They felt like God has shown, like an angel, angel standing over our church. And the fact is that we see so little in the spiritual realm that right now, there are likely angels, or an angel, the angel of Conchac and Vineyard Church, standing over us, keeping watch, being God's presence or messenger, as an angel is, is a messenger, uh, right here in our very midst. The, the churches all around Conchahawk in this area, there are angels, and they're doing battle with demonic forces. And the book of Revelation, what we're reading here, helps remind us, see, there's more than what we see happening. There's more going on, and we live in, in this earthly realm with a parallel dimension, a spiritual world that is interacting with, with each and every one of us in ways that, that we often don't realize. It is a supernatural uh, experience that we get when we read the book of Revelation. So I want to encourage you, as we go through the series, my, my encouragement to you, and just in, this is just a great prayer in general, is to ask Jesus, what if we took time together as a community, as individuals, this next over the fall, simply to ask Jesus to reveal more of himself to each of us. In fact, what's the greatest thing we could ever, any person could ever experience in their lives? It's more of who Jesus is, his presence, his very, his very goodness, and this essence that we get a, a small picture of in this incredible book. And so I encourage you, to just join with us. Be with us on Sundays as we explore. We're going to look at the seven. We're going to start off by looking at these seven different messages to these churches. Seven is, is symbolic of the number of completion. And so this, the message to these seven churches at the time, in fact, are messages to the church as a whole, the complete church for us today. So I encourage you to come. I encourage you to get connected to a small group, and we're going to look at these things a little bit in more depth and see how they apply to each of our lives. We'll have those discussions in our small groups. Uh, as well as, as to continue to prayerfully consider, ask God, I would encourage you, ask God, would you reveal more of who Jesus is to me today? I mean, that's, that's incredibly exciting. Some of the most profound moments that I've had is where Jesus has revealed himself to me. And that is my prayer. And I'm, what I'm going to be praying for our church is that we would understand more of who Jesus, in fact, is. All right, what we're going to do now is we're going to finish and I'm going to read the one section, if you, if you were following along, there's one section I, I left of this, and we're going to read it as a meditation for our time of communion. And in communion, what we do is we take time to remember 
the ultimate martyr, the witness that Jesus had to God, which represents God's love for us. And the cracker, the bread, is a representation of his body. The wine, the juice, is a representation of his blood that is spilled. And this is an invitation for everyone. In fact, if you, if you don't know Jesus, there's an invitation today to get to know him better. And he would invite you to receive that invitation, to understand the mystery of who Jesus is. And I would I encourage you, and I would, I would uh, invite you to that, to the table that we eat together. So if you want to grab one, we're going we're gonna to take communion here in a moment. But before we do so, let's just take some time to, to rest, to focus our hearts again on Jesus as I read through Revelation 1, 5 to 8. This is just an incredible uh, communion verse, in fact. Let's just take a moment to pause and then I'll already just let the truth of who Jesus is permeate your heart. Revelation 1, verses 5 to 8. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made for us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.